0: Happy New Year everybody. It's 2018. It's a whole brand new year. New year, new opportunities, new stuff. I'll get into all the cheesy stuff in just a minute. Let's start everything off by giving a shout out to my sponsors Chokaloha. Check out chokaloha.com and get 10% off your order from Chokaloha when you use the promo code jujitsuradio. I can't thank them enough for all the support that they gave me all last year with the podcast. Um, You know, and sending me all the cool little, like, free stuff here and there. I really appreciate it. So I can't wait to do some more work with them. I know they have a lot of amazing things in the future in store for the company and uh, all this other stuff. So I'm really happy to be uh, working with them and uh, super appreciative of their support. Also,. Want to thank my other sponsor, Jujitsu Soap Company. Head over to Jujitsu Soap Company website, uh, JujitsuSoapCode.com, and get 10% off. Right now, they are running a special three bars of soap for $10.99, which is a steal. This is basically buy two, get one free. But it's an awesome steal, and you get 10% off when you use the promo code JJ Radio. the letters J-J-R-A-D-I-O, from Jiu-Jitsu Soap Company, and after you listen to this podcast, you're really going to want to stock up on some jiu Soap, because it's something special. Before I get into all that, though, I want to start off the year with some positivity with everyone. Um... I can't thank everybody enough for all the support in 2017 that everybody showed me, everybody that tuned into the podcast, that would constantly ask me, when's the next episode? Who's coming up on the next episode? Uh, You know, people asking me to be a part of the podcast. You know, for the most part, anybody's welcome to come on as long as you have something uh, positive to, to share. I love having people on the podcast, but I can't thank people enough for all the support. Um, it really makes it that much uh, more fun to uh, bust my ass working and try and fit uh, you know some recording time into the schedule. If I sound a little stuffed up, it's because I am. I uh, got sick literally um, you know a day into the new year. So I apologize if I sound like a like a mouth breather neck beard kind of guy, um, it's just, uh, I'm getting over a sinus infection, I got sick, I did a, I had a roll the very last day of 2017 and I just ended up getting sick, it's just, you know, part of it, but, no matter, um, uh, you know, I'm almost over it and that's good because we got a lot of stuff to go over, uh, and a lot of stuff planned for 2018, um, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on last year. I was so fortunate enough to have my photos be a part of Fighters Only magazine. Uh, they reached out to me a few times, and it was awesome to have my photos in three separate issues. And, spoiler alert, they're going to use my photos for another issue. I believe it might be out now. I have to double check, but they use some of my photos for the next uh, issue of uh, fighters only magazine so it's a great way to start off the year uh, coming up i got a couple of trips i'll be up in new york to do some more photo shoots for tatami Fightwear. come back and uh, i should be competing at the adcc in orlando which will be fun and hopefully i can get some other photo shoots going up with uh, some different gyms up in orlando come back and uh, then it's UFC. Uh, was it 215 or something like that? Whatever it is, uh, the UFC Fight Night Orlando. I'll be up there for that, and this like literally, I'll be coming back that night so I can leave to go to California to San Diego um, the very next morning. So my first two three months of the year are already pretty much planned out. So it's it's going to be a crazy year. If, uh, if it sounds different on this podcast, it's because I'm doing something different. I'm trying to use uh, some different recording stuff so I can expand the, uh, the the range of guests that I can bring into the podcast. Um, I'm going to start doing some more remote stuff where I call people up. Um, so once in a while you might hear a little bit of uh, static and it's just the internet connection, nothing I can do. Uh, I'm actually pretty happy with the sound quality of this podcast. Now, why did I tell you to uh, start ordering some jujitsu soap? Well, besides the fact that they're an awesome company and they support the podcast like crazy, which again, thank you for that. um, This podcast was extremely impromptu. Uh, The first, uh, or I'm sorry, the the last couple of uh, months, uh, I've had a lot of conversations with different people in regards to hygiene when it comes to training, whether it's MMA or Jiu-Jitsu or any other kind of grappling sports or combat sports. Uh, a few months ago, I think we all remember, if you watch UFC and MMA, that uh, Kevin Lee fought Tony Ferguson with a giant staph infection in his chest, and it kicked, started up more conversation as far as, you know, things like ringworm and staff and MRSA and what it actually is, and it's as much as a lot of jujitsu schools like mine really promote a, uh, you know, clean hygiene and being uh, clean coming into train, there are a lot of people who don't really know. Specifically, white belts and you know, like blue belts, some blue belts, but there's a lot of people that uh, don't understand really what staph infection is, or MRSA, or ringworm. And they do not understand the uh, the truthful like impact that it does, like it has, and the dangers of contracting something like a staph infection. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's something that as grapplers that we all need to pay attention to. Whether if you're a wrestler or jiu jitsu or a judo or whatever. Anytime you 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 have any kind of up close and uh, even if you're exercising in the gym, honestly, anytime you're you're doing something that involves like sweating and the dangers of cutting yourself open, you come into risk of grabbing uh, or infecting yourself with uh, or staff or MRSA uh, and even ringworm if the mats aren't kept clean or if you're not being uh, hygienic. So I decided to do a little bit of research and, uh, and try and find someone who not only has the expertise of you know what these bacteria and viruses are, but also has the understanding from a jiu-jitsu uh, uh, MMA grappling you know athlete point of view. Hence, um, Hence. the doc. Good you know, Dr. Jonathan um, Gelber. I reached uh, out, did my research. I uh, reached um, out to him and asked him if he would happen to to have any time or be interested in uh, speaking with me on the podcast. And within a few minutes, he uh, he replied to my email and said, "Sure, let's do this." I can't thank him enough for taking the time. Uh, You know, I was fortunate enough that he did get snowed in because of this crazy weather that we're having right now in um, in the East Coast. So, um, Dr. Gelber was uh, fortunate enough to have some time today, and I figured let's start the year off quick, man. Let's make shit happen and uh, get him on the podcast today. Because it was so short notice, I didn't really get a chance to really dig in as deep as I wanted to, and I also didn't want to take up too much of his time because we literally just started speaking today, but uh, I was really, really happy with the conversation that we had. Uh, On this podcast, we spoke for another like 20 or 30 minutes after the podcast. And uh, I know I definitely learned some cool stuff. And I'm hoping to get him to come back uh, and speak more about his book, The Ultimate Guide to Preventing and Treating MMA Injuries. Uh, Check that book out. It is available on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Nobles and a couple of other different outlets. But... uh, dr. Gelber is also part uh, he is the founder of fightmedicine.net which he talks a lot about on uh, on the podcast and uh, I really really enjoyed having him on here and I can't thank him enough please be sure to follow him uh, on Twitter and uh, if you guys have any questions please feel free to reach out to the to the good doctor you know um, I would say reach out to me but I can't answer any kind of medical questions and if you do have, serious questions that uh you know maybe for your own health go see a doctor i'm not a doctor dr gelber is a doctor i'm not a doctor so all i can say is what i know and i have the same questions that that you guys do so nothing beats seeing a a doctor in person one-on-one that you can trust and ask the questions to so without any further ado here is the first episode of 2018 of Jiu-Jitsu Radio featuring Dr. Jonathan Gelber.
1: All
0: right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Jiu-Jitsu Radio. Today, Is quite a special day because I have an impromptu guest last minute. He is the board member of Association of Ringside Physicians, author of The Ultimate Guide to Preventing and Treating MMA Injuries. He received his medical degree from the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and a master's degree in biomedical engineering from Columbia University. He was uh, trained in orthopedic surgery at the Harbor UCLA Medical Center and completed a sports medicine fellowship at the world-renowned Cleveland Clinic, black belt in shiriryu karate, blue belt in jiu-jitsu, and uh, is the founding member of fightmedicine.net, Dr. Jonathan Gelberg. Doc, thank you very much for being a part of the podcast today.
1: No, thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: Uh, hopefully, I covered everything properly. I'm always uh, very careful anytime I have a doctor on the podcast. I never want to mispronounce anything or, or forget some stuff. So I want to make sure I got you all covered. Um, so just to kind of start this off, I know obviously I have, um, you know, I kind of gave you the little introduction. But if you can kind of give um, the listeners a little bit more about yourself as to to why you are knowledgeable enough to speak about uh, – things involving MMA and jiu-jitsu and the athletes.
1: Sure. Now, I've been a, a lifelong athlete myself um, and especially interested in martial arts. First got my start in uh, karate, uh, spent some time in various martial arts including Muay Thai and then uh, jiu-jitsu in the early days uh, when Hoist Gracie was still fighting. actually started out at the Gracie Academy in Miami when there were only three or four Gracie academies in the entire U.S. This is before you could find jiu-jitsu at every gym in the United States back then. Helio Gracie was the only uh, true uh, sort of uh, grandfather of the the Brazilian jiu-jitsu movement. And in fact, Helio would come to Miami and he would often say that he would worry about the future where jiu-jitsu would be spread everywhere and that the farther from the source of the water you drink, the less pure. That water is. So we should always keep that in mind as jujitsu continues to be one of the world's fastest growing sports along with mixed martial arts. So having spent some time in jujitsu and MMA as a, as a doctor, a fan and a participant, I noticed there was not a lot of good advice out there, especially for athletes who may not have insurance uh, and who only seek advice from those that they are training with. So I developed the website fightmedicine.net and quickly found uh, plethora of resources uh, that I could provide to the athletes, whether it's my own training experience or the experience of more veteran fighters, such as UFC Hall of Famers. And I was able to put that all together into a book, The Ultimate Guide to Treating and Preventing MMA Injuries, uh, which synthesizes a lot of the information down to practical use that any MMA fan or fighter would benefit from. And in addition to treating the fighters, Uh, From a medical standpoint, uh, I also got involved in ringside physician work, and as a result, I have uh, joined the uh, the Association of Ringside Physicians as a board member, where our goal is to create safe regulations for fighters and commissions to follow to help make sure that everybody is able to participate in a safe manner so they have long careers, the fans are happy, the promotions are happy, and we do everything to keep the fighter fighting for another day.
0: That's awesome. And that's definitely a unique story for sure. If you, if you remember those conversations with Helio, do you, do you really feel like he was right about the, uh, the watering down of, uh, of jujitsu as far as from, from your experience? You know, I, I think it
1: certainly has changed a lot, you know, back then you know when the UFC uh, was first started it was showcasing hoist and hoist being one of the the many members of the Gracie family who just happened to be at the right age at the right time to be the one that they focused on you know, Hickson had been fighting for for years and and pride and other japanese associations and helio had made his tour if you could ever get a Copy of the Gracie in action videotapes. I don't know if they're even available anymore, but yeah. it would follow Helio and other fighters going around gym to gym, uh, challenging fighters to show the the effectiveness of Gracie Jiu Jitsu in the ground game. And certainly back in in those early days in the nineties especially American audiences, were not familiar with the ground game. All they knew were boxing and, and stand-up. And so the UFC was really a showcase for Hoist in the ground game. Um, but of course, American wrestlers also had some expertise. And so you had those classic fights between Hoist Gracie, a jiu-jitsu practitioner who could fight from his back, and someone like Ken Shamrock or Dan Severn, who's an American wrestler who liked to stack their opponents. Uh, but either way, they, they would always end up on the ground. So that certainly uh, was what brought me to the sport. And you know I think that aspect of jujitsu, that self-defense aspect is, has changed a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we still have the self-defense classes, of course, but it's it sort of evolved more into the tournament style jujitsu, which I think is, is a very different sport. It's not necessarily better or worse. I just think it's different. It's more of a sport jujitsu than it used to be a self-defense jujitsu. And of course, mixed martial arts now is is truly mixed martial arts where you can't just do jujitsu or stand up. You have to be trained in
0: both disciplines. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it's definitely such a huge difference from, from my experience alone just to see the, the amount of people that really differentiate themselves from being a, a self-defense jiu-jitsu to you know, being sport jiu-jitsu. Um, yeah. just to, thing- give
1: you, I'm sorry, just to give you an Elvis. example. Uh, we started to see that a lot even when I was first training. Um, and so that very act of holding on to your guard while somebody stood up it's something mm-hmm. we see all the time in sport jujitsu, but you know, Hoyce and uh, I definitely the the other practitioners of the Gracie family hated that because you know if you were in a street fight, for instance, and you're holding on to somebody in a guard position as they stood up, they would just slam you down on your head on the concrete, and so that was something that we were never allowed to do in class yeah. back then. And of course, that's obviously a very common thing now that we do during uh, mm-hmm. tournaments.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully not too often. It's definitely the, the whole art of guard pulling has been kind of, you know, just bastardized for a lot of different reasons, especially when it comes to tournaments. But yeah, I would definitely not recommend holding on to guard for too long if someone can stand up with you. And one of the things that, that you mentioned uh, at the beginning is is you focusing on helping people out and giving them information, especially if they don't have health insurance. And that's actually one of my things. So I'm very aware as to the situations that are going on at any time I go train, whether it's my gym or if I'm visiting any other gym. Um, and the biggest thing and really the, the main point of why I reached out to you is to to look at and really kind of drive home the the aspect of the dangers of things like staph infections and MRSA. Um, Lately in uh, in my gym, we've had the discussions. Luckily, no one's had that issue. I do have a uh, a teammate who had that issue in the past uh, from one of his other gyms that he used to train at and became a big thing. And, you know, we discussed it. Like there's not that much information that goes out there to tell people what to look out for and things like that. Um, you know, I, sometimes I feel like people are more worried about getting ringworm than understanding the dangers of just a staph infection. Um, so what I really wanted to get you to, to get into the nitty gritty of everything is if you could kind of give a breakdown and understanding of what exactly is a staph infection and then just kind of we can get into really the the ways that it, it can build up in a jujitsu gym and how people can be aware of what they need to look out for.
1: Sure. So. So staph infections are an infection of a specific type of bacteria called staphylococcus or staph for short. And so staffs everywhere, you know, every, bacteria, as we all probably remember from school, is, is microscopic, you can't see it, but it's everywhere, you know, you go into a shower, you certainly can clean yourself, but within, you know, minutes, the bacteria are covering everything, there's good bacteria, and there's bad bacteria, and so our body is usually colonized with what we would consider good bacteria, and that they, they're not invasive, they don't cause problems, in fact, they may keep other bad bacteria at bay. Um, but. What can happen if there are breaks in the skin, which is a, one of the body's natural defenses against bacteria, is the, the bacteria basically crawl into the skin and, and they can colonize it. And if they're a, a bad bacteria, then they can start to kill tissue and certainly spread. And, you know, certainly there, there's really bad bacteria that we've heard of uh, in, in the news, uh, flesh-eating bacteria, for instance, uh, they move at a very rapid pace. Uh, staph in itself uh, can be classified based on its antibiotic resistance. So typical staph is actually something we can treat with, you know, routine antibiotics, um, over-the-counter oral antibiotics. Uh, And these things usually are able to keep the bacteria at bay. But there are certain bacteria that have developed resistance to antibiotics. And one of those is MRSA. And the M just stands for methicillin, the R for resistance. And so it's just one sort of antibiotic that the uh, the staff has developed a, a resistance to. And so when they're able to resist antibiotics, then we run out of tools or, or weapons against the bacteria. And so a lot of the staff infections that we worry about are these MRSA infections, but we should worry about all infections because you know, even a non-methicillin resistant or just a methicillin sensitive staph infection can also spread and cause problems. But that's, that's where this whole concept of, you know, the staph infections comes from and why MRSA is considered worse than others. Now, um, when, you, when you have skin that's exposed, you know, if you're if you're in a gym and you're wrestling with somebody else and, and they have bacteria, it certainly can transfer from one person to another. We we know all that with the ringworm, uh, which is a fungal infection, but the same thing can happen with bacteria. And so, if you're if you're grappling and you have open wounds, that puts you at a, at a greater risk. And you know, the wound does not have to be very big at all. Any break in your skin can allow the staff to, to colonize it. And so, one of the things in terms of preventing is is simple showering. Showering can get rid of bacteria, especially after you've you've been grappling. As soon as you go home, or if you can even do it at the gym, it's best to shower right away. If the gym has a lot of mats, you really need to clean them well. And there's an interesting story in my book that I got from Mark Delagrade about how he basically saved an entire season of The Ultimate Fighter, tough four. There was a staph infection going around and they couldn't figure out how it kept going from fighter to fighter because they would clean the mats after every session, and Mark quickly realized that there were mats on the wall as well. You know they had protected walls, and and nobody was cleaning that. And so every time someone would lean up against the wall for a takedown practice or just to rest, they they were transferring that bacteria to their body. So you know, besides you know the, the mechanisms that, of preventing the open wounds while grappling, you know, cleaning the wounds, making sure wherever gym you're training at actually cleans. Between classes, or certainly at the end of the day, is is a great way. And then, of course, showering—whether you use regular soap or there are some antibiotic-resistant soap uh, treatment soaps out there—that uh, that can help as well. But simply the act of scrubbing with soap and water helps get rid of the bacteria.
0: That was going to be my other question. Um, you know, obviously there there are a lot of companies that that um, that make jujitsu-specific soap. Even one of the podcast sponsors, Jiu-Jitsu Soap Company you know, they make these soaps that are directed to fight off uh, things like the, like ringworm and staff. How effective are those really? Is it, is it something that people can just say, or is it something that really, really is effective?
1: You know, I, I can't really comment specifically on each brand. Uh, it's definitely a concept that, that one can, can buy into. And, I can't say if it's any more effective or less effective. than Having actually the good scientific evidence to to look at it, but I think you can't go wrong. I don't think it it would hurt to add the additional ingredients that they have. Um, but simply this the, the scrubbing of so uh, you know if you have you know if, you, if you're in a hospital and we're seeing patients or we're going to the operating room, you know, alcohol has made its way in there. So often we have the sanitizers. But really, nothing beats good old fashioned scrubbing with soap and water that, that mechanical abrasion with the soap and water is good enough to kill most bacteria
0: but is it something that that um, you know that takes time to to fester into like let's say you got like a small scratch or something? Is it one of those things that you could go a couple of hours without showering, or is it that as soon as like the the bacteria gets into that wound or whatever it's it's in like you can't do anything about it yeah i mean it's
1: not like an emergency like oh my goodness i gotta go shower now because i just rolled with somebody you know, but you know anytime a bacteria infection occurs it really has to do with a couple factors one being the host's immune response so some people just naturally are are Better immune fighters than others, Um, and certainly the extreme of that is people have immune disorders. They get infected, you know, very easily. Um, The other thing is the dose, the dosage. How how much bacteria is really there? Um, So if you happen to get a large dose of bacteria for whatever reason, then certainly that can act much quicker in a stronger fashion than a, a small dose. But you know, if if you're rolling with somebody and you know you see that you have an open wound, you know, you shouldn't obviously continue to roll through the obvious <laughs> open wound, but yeah. it's not like you have to like rush off immediately and, and, you know, get rid of it. Like, like you have some poison on your body. It's, it's not that bad.
0: Right. I I think sometimes some gyms will, will throw in the scare tactics. Other ones will just like, just keep going and just walk it off kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's all about being smart, you know, and you got, you also in any of these injuries,
1: whether it's skin infections or or other injuries, it's all about being smart and you have to have to be smart enough to withstand your ego. And that's where a lot of people get in trouble is they, they think they know better or they, they want to prove something. And so they don't address the medical issue that's staring right in front of them.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people too, that will just try and hide the fact that, that they have something going on. I've know, I've seen it a couple of times, where I come into roll, and someone might either be having some tape on in like a weird spot, and they're just trying to play it off. It's like, well, if you have ringworm under there, it'll still come out. Like you can't be on this mat.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly true. And and we'll see that with some of the wrestlers I take care of too in tournaments. They'll they'll try and put some headgear on, or they'll do something to try and cover up the ringworm that they have. And you know, it's it's really not the right thing to do. And you're putting someone else at risk. And you know, you need to to, to trust your partners and. Part of having a good jujitsu or MMA training experience is having partners you can trust and people you know that are having both their own safety and your safety in mind as well.
0: So bringing that up, like let me ask you, um, uh, you follow obviously the UFC. Did you see the the fight recently with with Kevin Lee versus uh, Tony Ferguson? And he obviously came out and he had the staph infection in his chest?
1: No, I actually didn't. Get a chance to to look at yeah.
0: that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll shoot you a, a text with the photo. It's pretty crazy, but he came out and he had this giant bump on his chest. And um, Joe Rogan talks uh, pretty extensively about it on one of his uh, like podcast episodes. And he kept mentioning it. That's a staph infection. Like, why is he on there? That's a staph infection. And he says that, you know, in his ear, they were telling them, don't mention it, don't mention it. So they knew that that's what he had. If something like that is going on, how much at risk would Tony Ferguson be of picking up the staph infection from just that fight alone?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly I can't give you numbers, um, but it's an increased right. risk for for the other fighter that he's fighting, but also himself as well, because it could spread further in his body if he had additional you know nicks in his skin. Um, so that's certainly something that should never happen, and that's you know that's where you, you gotta step back a little bit and, and, you know, sometimes protect fighters from themselves because they've been training for this fight for, for weeks. And oftentimes their careers depend on the outcome of the fight. And so they don't have the long-term picture in mind. And that's where the officials, that's where the ringside docks, and that's where hopefully their own corner can step in and, and save the fighter from themselves. And so that they can come back to fight another day in a healthy manner.
0: Right. And I, it would, It just blew my mind when that was going on. Is just something like that would would be allowed to to carry on. I mean, there's so much at play. You know, I get that the fighters have to to make their paychecks too, but something like that you can't really risk. So when when you're talking about something like MRSA, I know in the in the past few years, um, you know, the medical industry has gotten more and more. Um, out there and letting people know not to overdo antibiotics and that you know the germs and bacteria are getting more and more resistant to it how much is that really at play like is it something that's just kind of like a scare tactic or is it really something that's going on that people need to be aware of not just even just MRSA but when you're bringing in antibiotics into play
1: Mm -hmm. the more we use antibiotics, the more resistance that we've seen. It's simply the fact that we have all these resistant bacteria is because we've been using antibiotics for so long, and hospitals especially have some of the worst bacteria colonizing things in hospitals because all the patients there are sick and they're on tons of antibiotics, and you end up selecting basically for the fiercest of all the bacteria as the ones to survive these antibiotics. So it's it's a problem. It's something that hospitals are constantly surveilling. Um, hopefully we continue to win the battle, but we're running out of antibiotics that can kill everything. There, there's certainly only a few of them out there. So we try and be a little more judicious with the use of our, our antibiotics, uh, but people shouldn't worry about it. It's not something that's going to cause some zombie apocalypse, and, and then you know the next <laughs> decades or so. Uh, but the, yeah. the best thing for them to do is, if they are prescribed antibiotics, is to take the full course. Because what can happen if you don't take the full course is you take just enough to kill some of the bacteria, but they then multiply back. Those who have the genes to resist this type of back, this type of antibiotic. In small doses and then that gene gets passed on to the other bacteria and then pretty soon you have antibiotic resistance bacteria. So, you know, the thing that you should just focus on is if someone does prescribe you an antibiotic, just take the full course um, and that hopefully will reduce some of the antibiotic resistance that we see and certainly will hopefully prevent you from coming back to your doctor with a now more virulent or more uh, stronger uh, bacteria than you had initially had.
0: right. So let's say someone ends up getting a staph infection. What's the the standard procedure to address it? Like how long would they have to be on antibiotics for? And I mean, I'm sure that it changes depending on case to case, but what would the average be? You know, typically
1: anywhere from five to 10 days. um, There's no magic number, but when we prescribe antibiotics, it seems to be that you know, five to 10 days uh, is usually pretty good. You know, if we want to pick seven days in the middle, that, that's usually sufficient. But, you know, it's oral medication if it's not spreading. Um, but when you look at an infection, you look look at the area of redness. And so people who have worse bacterial or staph infections, you, you start to see streaking up the arm. So you can see it actually spread. And, and when we see people in the emergency rooms and we see significant skin infections, we'll mark the edge of the area with a marker, and then we'll observe them, and we'll come back, you know, a couple hours later or or whenever we're rounding back, and and we'll look and see if it's spreading. And if it's if it's actively spreading up the extremity, then that's that's certainly a concern that we need to get stronger antibiotics get maybe some infectious disease specialists on board for the team. And depending on where it is, it might even need surgical washout. So that's what we look for. That's what other people can look for too, is if it's starting to spread up your arm or up your leg, so it's going away from the fingers or away from the toes and up towards the shoulder or the knee, that's the ones you have to worry about. Those are the ones that are spreading rapidly and need to be treated quickly.
0: What about if, if, uh, if MRSA comes into play though?
1: Yeah, MRSA,
0: it's still antibiotics
1: that we can use. There it's still good oral antibiotics um, that can be treated. So it really depends on how bad it is. If it's not bad, we can usually treat it pretty well with oral antibiotics. If that doesn't work, then we go to the IV antibiotics, which are more potent but require hospital administration through an IV. So if it's treated and, it, and it's not in a horrible spot to start with, usually we can calm it down and get rid of it with oral antibiotics.
0: So it's not one of those things where people are going to like instantly freak out and think that they're going to die within 24 hours. Right. I
1: mean, there are those certainly tissue or flesh eating bacterias out there, but they're thankfully pretty rare. And th- that's also something you would see spread. I mean, that's something you can actually see within hours. Someone could come into the emergency room and have a small area of redness and all of a sudden it's spread. And so that simple fact that it has spread from something small to something big in a matter of hours is is to be – to anyone, it would be obvious that that's a bad problem. But in terms of the slower, more commonly spreading ones, it's simply just like how fast and how quickly is it spreading. The fact that it's spreading is the sign that something needs to be done, but how fast it's spreading usually will help us know how bad
0: it is. right. And so let's say – Someone comes in, they start training like jujitsu and like, what are the, the signs of visual signs, obviously of say that they might've gotten a staph infection? Yeah. Redness
1: uh, in the area is usually the the best sign to look for. Uh, swelling can sometimes happen as well. You know, there are also times where it will, can go into a joint and that's, that requires actual surgical washout. So if you have a joint, like your knee is very common, um, the mm. knees start swelling. So the bacteria can go from the skin and work their way into the joint sometimes. So if you have redness, warmth, and swelling, and you haven't had an injury, then that can be a sign that there's an infection. And that's when usually will need to go to the operating room to get washed out.
0: That's so crazy. I never heard that about, like the, about it spreading to the joint like that.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that we consider surgical emergencies if we can get what we call septic arthritis, where we have actual infections inside the joint. those are pretty bad actors that can kill cartilage. So that's one of the few things that we have to take to the emergency room pretty quickly because we want to save your cartilage.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Especially if you do any kind of sport like jujitsu.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, Yeah, see, that's one of those things that I always tell people, especially when they first want to try out jujitsu and, you know, they, they might live in a different city. Like I always tell them, like, make sure that you can see that they keep the mats clean. Like there's not some random funky smells and, you know, training partners like don't come in smelling like they just came off of a construction site.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's true. Any, any of the sports wrestlers are notorious for skin infections. You know, just, it's it's just (laughs) something, it's, it's all about education and it's all about actually caring about your body and caring about your partners. It's not rocket science. It's just, you actually have to make that small little effort to not listen to your ego or be lazy and actually do something to keep yourself and others healthy.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I think a lot of it does have to do with with laziness and just, you know, some people want to be like, oh, just tough it out, whatever. Like, you know, people smell, big deal. It's not, it's that's not the real thing. It's not about an ego thing, it's a hygiene thing. Right. And
1: if you, you know, if you don't want to shower and take the five minutes to do that and you end up getting an infection, those two, three weeks that you're going to be out because you had a skin infection pale in comparison to the five minutes that you could have taken to make sure that you weren't at risk with a shower or some other cleaning of the mats.
0: Yeah. See, I'm not a, I'm not a germaphobe by any means, but I definitely get pretty pissed off when, when people come in to train just like, it might be with a cold or just getting over it. It's like, man, now because you decided not to take the day off, I'm going to have to take three or four days off because I'm sick and I don't want to spread it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I just, it's
1: not about being a germaphobe. I mean, we're all adults and you know, we live in, in reality and we don't have to you know, worry about being infected with everything we touch or do. But it's simple, common courtesy. You, know, you guys are our training partners, this is your, your academy, is your home you want to keep it clean and you want to make sure that everybody else keeps it clean too.
0: Yeah. So now let me ask you uh, obviously you you've been doing this for a while and you know it's it's almost like on a daily thing where you see changes in uh, in just the training regimens of people whether they're in MMA or jiu-jitsu do you notice a consistency on the injuries that come out or or do they kind of just wave back and forth from different parts depending on you know the trends of the sports? I
1: mean the thing that I see in a lot of MMA athletes and something we see in, in athletes of all sports but particularly with MMA athletes who have no off season Uh, And they aren't surrounded by by the same sort of strength conditioning coaches, physical therapists, athletic trainers, or other allied health professionals that other sports have is overtraining and not Mm -hmm. listening to your body. And people who go into mixed martial arts, they tend to be from a breed that likes to push themselves to their limits. And that's a good thing because that's what gets them to their place in their career. But you can't push 100% of the time as hard as you can because your body will break down and so that's one of the reasons a lot of fighters don't seek medical treatment is they don't want to be told to slow down and just because you have an injury doesn't mean you have to stop training completely you can work around the injury something termed active recovery and you'll see even in my book when i wrote it you have guys doing other sports too it's important to cross train and this is something that we see in the youth level when it comes to sports especially things like baseball you have all these young teenagers getting Tommy John surgery. And 15 years ago, that never happened. That's because they're playing baseball and pitching excessive amounts year round. And so just another extreme example of, of overuse injuries and not cross training. So that's really what fighters need to do is they need to listen to their body. If things hurt, You don't have to stop training, but you can train around the injury. And the other thing is, especially when it comes to concussions and head injuries, is you don't have to have hard sparring all the time. In fact, a lot of the fighters who make it to the top of the UFC and other sports have stopped sparring hard because they know they can take a punch. They don't need to prove that they can take a punch. What they need to work on is their technique or their strategy. So they focus more on that and less on trying to be the local gym hero and knock everybody else out.
0: Yeah, and no, uh there it's I always notice it's the, the newer guys or people trying to make a, a name for themselves at the gym that end up going just bananas and, and spar just way more than what they need to. Yeah, the
1: same thing is true in jiu-jitsu. I mean you have guys that are trying locks that either a they're inexperienced and shouldn't be doing in the first place, or they're doing locks that are putting their partner, you know, at unnecessary risk just so they can win that, you know, not even tournament, but simply, you know, just you know, Saturday morning open mat. And so that's yeah. you know, really what you got to do. And then, of course, there's the the guys who don't want to tap because they have something to prove. And, and that's just absurd because, I mean, you don't lose life points just because you tapped in a training session.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, some people like to learn the hard way, I guess. So uh, a few episodes ago, uh, I think, wow, it's been like well over two months now, I had uh, some friends of mine uh, – come on to the podcast, another doctor, they, they run a a PRP clinic. So I'm curious as to, from another doctor's point of view, how you feel about, you know, the benefits, the pros and cons of PRP. Is it something that you see like a great big future in, or is it one of those like flash in the pan type deals?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Something we are actively discussing in the sports medicine community and the orthopedic community, and we're constantly doing research on PRP and its effectiveness. And I do think it has a role and I have used it in my clinics. The hard part is it's not usually covered by insurance, at least not outside the operating room. So people have to pay out of pocket. So I always recommend trying things that are covered by insurance before you shell out several hundred to a thousand dollars per injection. But there, there definitely is a future, but we're still trying to figure it out. If you look at the studies that people have done, there are studies that show that it can help, and there's studies that show that it can help. And the problem is there's a lot of companies that make PRP machines. And so the final product or the cocktail, if you will, when they're done doing their spinning of your blood to get the plat- platelet-rich plasma layers out is that concentration is very different. So some concentrations may actually be better and some concentrations may not be as effective. And so we have to try and figure out what concentrations work and also what kind of cells to use too. Besides the platelets, there's actually some benefit of having white blood cells in there, and the white blood cells are what help fight your body, the immune system, but they create a little bit of inflammation. And so for things like tendonitis problems, having a little bit of white blood cells in there, for instance, may help because that little inflammation may help. But then if you have somebody who has arthritis that little bit of inflammation actually may be worse for them. So we're trying to tinker with different concoctions or cocktails to figure out what's the best. And so that, that's really going to be the future is to figure out, well, what sort of percentages of each type of cell and each type of signaling molecule is going to be effective? So you know, it's certainly not necessarily a flash in the pan. It has a future. We just have to figure out exactly how to get the best proportions to make it useful for, for people on a broad dosage.
0: So so you're saying even going as far as like the, the machine that they use, like the different centrifuge that they use – per office makes a difference on the response? Yeah, it
1: certainly can. And you know, I can't tell you one is better than the other. And so right. if someone listening to this may go online and start saying, oh, I need this companies or I need that companies. And you in know, reality, we don't know which one's better, but we do know that the outcome is different and different studies have different results. And so the thing that we can hopefully attribute that to is the fact that everybody's not using the same thing. And if you know, we do these studies and we start to report in the studies, our concentrations and what we use it maybe help us to limit it down to those that work the best.
0: Right. And then you just bring up like a good point. I think one thing that always bothers people and I think a lot of people become more and more paranoid about, you know, anything that involves medicine and, and the pharmaceutical industry is how much influence companies have on the results of the studies. Is that something that you find like, you know, obviously I'm not trying to get you to to dive into like the the conspiracy of the, the pharmaceutical industry, but is that something that you see more of or less of where like the companies actually alter the studies?
1: No, I've never seen that. Um, I have not ever had any experience with that. And you know, most of the time when doctors are presenting their research data, they are required to state whether they have any conflicts of interest. That's been going on for a long time now. Conflicts of interest meaning financial support or things like that. So right. you know, the, we, we're pretty good at controlling for that kind of stuff.
0: So what do you think is, is the best way for people to get information? I mean obviously speaking to their doctors whatever, but if someone wants to take that extra step, you know, I think a lot of people have the problem in in trying to figure out who to believe. And sometimes even if they they try and look at a at a study, it might be too technical for the average person. Is there like a a I don't know, a website or a best way for someone to get like more and more information?
1: Yeah, I mean it's really hard because when you, you – with the internet, you can suffer from having just partial information or too yeah. much information and not interpreting that information correctly. So you really have to trust your doctor and have a good relationship with a doctor that you can have an open conversation with um, because if you, if you want to know more, they're usually the best person to distill it down for you into something that you can understand and then you have an open conversation about it. And the doctor's job is to, to lay out the information for you, give you the pros and cons of each treatment. And then the two of you together come up with what's the best thing for you as
0: a patient. Yeah. I, I don't want people to start going through the, the web MD route.
1: Yeah. Every, every, first. everybody will think they have cancer if they go to the WebMD.
0: <laughs> yeah. Everyone's about to die in the next right. five minutes when it comes to that. So just to, to wrap things up a little bit more, um, when you work on your stuff as far as the the fighters, what's your your area of expertise?
1: You know, my particular interest being in orthopedic sports medicine, Doc, is shoulders and knees um, and also hips. Um, I think that's, that's certainly a big growing area as well as uh, the hip arthroscopy world. It's relatively new compared to shoulders and knees, uh, but there's a lot of future uh, treatment options that we're going to have with hip arthroscopy. Uh, But my main area that I've focused most of my training and patient population on has been arthroscopic shoulders. So things like rotator cuff tears and labrum tears, which is the ring of cartilage that goes around your socket to help stabilize the ball and socket joint. And then all the ligaments in the knee, like the ACL that you hear so much about, as well as the meniscus. So that's really been my prime areas of interest have been the shoulders, the knees and the hips.
0: No. Man, I wish I would have known you years ago. I've had shoulder problems my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I'm i totally blown away with all the information you gave me. I know I'd have like a million more questions, but I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, if people need to get more information from me, what's the, the best way that they can reach you? Uh,
1: and they can reach me through uh, the contact form at, at fightmedicine.net. Um, I'm also at Elite Sports Medicine in Farmington, Connecticut. So if they happen to be in the area, certainly we can, we can see each other in the office setting. Um, but fightmedicine.net is, is a good resource. And then if they want to learn more about the mixed martial arts injury treatment and prevention, then that, that my book is actually available at Barnes & Noble as an as a actual physical book. Uh, but it's also available online through Amazon as a Kindle book or a hard book that they uh, mail to you
0: yeah i think that's one of those things i'm going to have to i'm going to have to get you back on the podcast and talk more about that cuz i know way too many fighters getting injured
1: yeah and that's really what we we want to do is get that book out to the fighters because they're the ones we're, we're trying to get to and they're the ones that need the information and so the the more we can get out to the fighters the i think the better off the sport will be
0: but do you think that it's a uh, is it a, a hard-headedness from these fighters where they just want to tough it out, or is it a lack of education?
1: Well, education certainly um, plays a role in a lot of this stuff. And just by the very nature, martial artists tend to be hard-headed, and they also tend to be very body-conscious, and so a lot of them are wary of what they would consider non-Eastern or non-traditional medicine. Um, and so they steer away from doctors, and they, they really shouldn't do that. We, there's a you know other sports out there that, have benefited from science and medicine and and the, the practice of sports medicine. So there's a lot of docs like myself out there, uh, that we're trying to get that information to the mixed martial arts community. And we need to start treating mixed martial arts like we do other sports and that's surrounding the fighters with people who are educated and can help them make the right decisions when it comes to treating their own body and preventing injuries.
0: Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely, uh, the next time you have a little bit more time, I, I think there's we could do a whole other podcast on on your book and just that alone as far as uh injury prevention. Yeah, I'd be happy to do it. Oh, thank you very much, Doctor. I know uh I took up enough of your time. I really appreciate appreciate you coming on. Uh once again, if anybody wants to reach out to you or follow you on social media, the best way to go about it.
1: Uh my um I have different Twitters. One is for fight medicine,
0: but the one that usually can reach me more directly is at Doctor John Gelber. Awesome, perfect, and I'll I'll make sure to uh to post it up when I uh get the this podcast out there. So please, everybody, go ahead and follow the the good doctor. Pick up a copy of his book. Uh, like he said, it's available in uh, Barnes and Nobles uh, and on Amazon. I might have to go and pick one up today because I'm getting too injured in my late age. But, um, Doc, thank you again for taking the time. I hope you stay warm. Uh, if you have some time, and when I'm up in New York or around the area in the next couple of weeks, hopefully we can meet up and grab some coffee.
1: Yeah, it'd be it'd be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually out in Connecticut now as of November because I have four kids and two dogs, and New York City is <laughs> way too expensive for us. So we're, we're moving out yeah, to I the suburbs.
0: Really no, that's awesome. Well, also congratulations on, on, your, new, uh, on your new practice there. No, thank you. Uh, all right, doctor. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for tuning in. Well, there you have it, folks. I want to thank the doctor once again for being a part of the podcast and for being able to, to really fit me into his schedule so short notice. Um, that information is extremely useful. And I hope you guys uh, got something out of that podcast because I sure did. I am definitely looking forward to bringing uh, Doctor Gilbert back to talk more about injury and injury prevention uh, with MMA and Jiu Jitsu in regards to his book. Be sure to uh, to check out his book. Pick up a copy of it, The Ultimate Guide to Preventing and Treating MMA Injuries. I know I need all the help I can get on uh, preventing injuries. But, uh, again, I hope you guys dig it. You know, thank you very much for everyone for supporting the podcast. I'm really looking forward to everything that 2018 has to offer. If you want to support the podcast some more, you're more than welcome to pick up some of my artwork. Um, go to mycosmicjourney.com. That's my blog. That's my website where I just constantly update stuff. I'm, I'm going to be putting more effort into it this year for sure, but, um, then you guys can check out all the artwork if you're interested in the photos and all my craziness. As far as outside of the podcast, check out Sonder Marketing. That's S O N D E R Marketing on Instagram. There you'll see all the crazy photos and uh, cool stuff I get to do for a living that I'm fortunate enough to do. You can check out the Jujitsu Radio uh, Instagram. And last but not least, I want to say thank you to my sponsors. Chocaloha, check out chocaloha.com, use the promo code Jiu Radio. get 10% off your order. They got some cool new gear coming out. Be sure to pick it up when it comes out because it does not last long. And once it's done, it's done. Also, considering what we just spoke about today, head over to Jiu Jitsu Soap Company and pick up the three-bar bundle for $10.99. You get three bars, which would normally cost you about fifteen to eighteen dollars, maybe twenty plus uh, shipping and handling, depending on where you're at. Get uh, get yourself some some bars and uh, and fight off those uh, those ringworms and staph infection. You know we don't want uh, we don't want to take any time off that's not necessary uh, from training. And Jiu-Jitsu Soap Company has been a huge supporter of the podcast, so I'm glad that that we can kind of connect the two together so again use the promo code jj radio at jujitsu soap company get 10 percent off your order and last but not least once again thank you all for all the support 2017 here's to 2018 let's all push each other through training through all our hopes and goals and dreams of what we want to get accomplished this year anything i can do to help you guys Please just let me know I'll do my best to to help you in your cause because all I wanna do this year is spread the positivity and help others go for their goals just as hard as I'm going for mine um you know it's not easy it's not easy out here for a pimp we all gotta gotta work hard times are tough, but doesn't mean we have to screw each other over to to make shit happen you know it uh it it's a lot more fun when everybody works as a community so With that being said, here's to 2018. I wish you all the best. Let's make it fucking happen.